Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Football Social Daily. It's your only place for daily Premier League podcasts, as I'm sure you'll know by now, because I'm sure you're all coming back here for what is not your first podcast. But if you are coming for the first time, then don't forget we are the only place that releases fresh, brand new Premier League podcasts every day of the week. For, for all weeks of the Premier League season, which does seem to have gone on for probably about, what is it, is it like 11 months now? We're closing in on 10, 11 months, but as long as they're playing on the pitch, we're here talking about it and chewing the fat over the latest Premier League news, and that's what we'll be doing today. Uh, I'm Marley Anderson, and with me on today's podcast, we've got Ant McGinley. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're hearing this. <laughs> and we've also got Stefan Armstrong. Now then. Now then, now then, he says. Game show style. What an intro. <laughs> right, so let's start today with um, with, with last night's action. Um, obviously, it's Tuesday today, Monday night game. There was only one last night, and it was the absolute thriller at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which was uh, Spurs managing to edge out Everton by uh, beating them 1-0 at home and moving up to 8th in the Premier League table. Uh, the only goal came from uh, Giovanni Lacelso's deflected shot slash own goal off uh, off Michael Keane, and let's be honest, there wasn't much to talk about. However, the best thing that happened was the um, I don't want to call it a fight because it was more of a, a minor disagreement, uh, hyperbole into you know some sort of massive issue between uh, Hugo Lloris and Hyungmin Son. So I'm sure you've probably seen it on on Twitter and everything like that with all the, the funny captions and what have you of what they were talking about. But, Stefan, we've seen this before, haven't we? You know, players players have little disagreements and it's, if anything, it's just funny, isn't it? Like, it wasn't it wasn't that serious, was it? Honestly, I think the whole thing was a setup. I think Hugo Lloris realised how boring the first 45 minutes were and realised <laughs> that the blokes in the studio probably didn't have 15 minutes to fill. So he thought, right, let's... Let, <laughs> <laughs> let's create a little scuffle I'll pick the smallest player on my team so I'll go for Son uh, and yeah get the people talking um, it's quite entertaining wasn't it but I, I wouldn't call it a fight I agree but um, I, it, whatever happened it worked because um, I, that's it actually I think it was just great captaining because uh, Son came out in the second half and actually had three shots on goal which he didn't have a sniff in the first half so whatever happened it worked so big up Hugo Lloris well done <laughs> It, yeah, it wasn't uh, as we we think back over the years, don't we, Ant? And uh, it wasn't quite Lee Bowyer and Kieran Dyer 
you know, scrapping no. and tearing each other's shirts off at St. James's Park that year, was it? But then I wonder if that this is maybe like a symptom of like modern life and political correctness in that nobody would ever think to do that anymore. Um, I, I do object to you using the word action to describe it. It was a kind of fight I would expect to see in something like The Only Way is Essex because they, they kind of fight each other by, by like he's just backing off going, come at me, bro, come at me, bro, but walking away at the same time. Um, it did remind me of, I mean, going way back, I think it was one of the first seasons of the Premier League and the Merseyside uh, derby. And I remember Grobola having a go at Steve McManaman in a very similar way. My, my favourite one recently was uh, Mitrovic and Camera at Fulham. Oh, um, my word. You don't want yeah. to mess with him. <laughs> but the thing with that was, it was... I mean, the first thing was, it wasn't really... What we saw on the pitch wasn't really a fight. Although something did happen. I think charges were pressed off the pitch afterwards. Um but it was over a penalty and Mitrovic deadly with penalties and Kamara was like I'm having this I'm having this one and did that whole sort of school kid thing of walking off the ball refusing to let anybody have it just turning his back walking away to my ball my ball my ball and then the best thing about it was he 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 missed the penalty actually no that's a lie I said that's the best thing about it the best thing about it is the reason for the fight go on and it was because um, they'd had a yoga session in training and Cameron had been rude to the teacher and Mitrovic had told him to shut up and that's why there was beef. He's, he's a polite man with principles, is Mitrovic. So good on him too. You, you know it's a good fight when police get involved like after the game and some, somebody gets taken to some kind of like West London police station and charges are made. That's when it's been a good fight. Do you know what? I, I don't even know whether there's anyone I would rather... I'd, I don't know whether I want to be friends with Mitrovic or just not know him at all because he's one of them characters, isn't he? He's just he's so he's wired, isn't he? He's like he's on the edge all the time. I seen him, I seen him uh, in the Leeds and Fulham game um, just a couple of weeks ago, like last weekend, I think it was. And two minutes in, he didn't get the ball off uh, Ben White at centre back and just elbowed him straight in the in the head, <laughs> and it was like he didn't get sent off for it because um, the referee didn't see it. And it was like, has he just done that? And then the replays showed you, and he just like properly dropped Ben White. And I was like, what is this guy? What you know? What does he have for breakfast? He's 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 it's like drinking kerosene for breakfast or something. He's absolutely mental. Mally is the sort of guy who you'd be you'd happily take to a countryside pub and sit in front of a warm fire with at three o'clock in the afternoon on a winter's day. But you wouldn't ever dream of going to Yates's with him at midnight <laughs> on a Friday night. Just don't do it. I think he's setting himself up for a, a career post football, and the thing is, we've seen this a lot, a lot of sports doing crossover. Well, possibly. <laughs> I mean, somebody's got to fill the boots because uh, Vinnie Jones is getting on a bit now. He obviously <laughs> moved into acting, playing the Hardman, and so there's that spot opening up for him. Or I'm pretty sure Mitrovic could move straight into the UFC. I yeah, I'd probably give him a title shot after two fights. <laughs> he'll, he'll be the next president of Montenegro, or at least at least general of their army. Well, that's so. that's impressive considering he's Serbian, Stefan. <laughs> well, 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 you know it's all mixed Thanks. up there, so you know what I mean. To all our listeners in Serbia and Montenegro, you know, I, I remember your pre two thousand six. Well, Mali, I'm not going to tell him. I'm just going to sit there. If he wants to be the president of Montenegro, I'm going to back him all the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to tell him he can't. If he wants them to be one country again, I'm sure no one's uh, hard enough to take him on or stupid enough to take him on. 
Uh, but anyway, we're, we're, that's that's Mitrovic. If he ever comes back to the Premier League, I'm sure we'll be talking about him for uh, for a, <laughs> you know 15 podcasts next season alone. Um, and he might do as well because Fulham are in the uh, in the Championship playoff places. So we'll see how that pans out, and hopefully we'll have something to uh, something to go over next season when he drops off the Premier League and gets a 18 game ban. Um, but on this on the 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 let's call it a scuffle last night. Um, Mourinho was was immediately asked his uh, his opinion on it, and as is the way I think with most managers these days, he came out and just said it was beautiful, <laughs> and he said he actually managed to blame himself because he said that um, he he said that <laughs> he told the players that they didn't sort of care enough and they need to show more more heart and more fight and more and more grit. Um, and do you think Stefan that this was just a way of of his actions sort of ringing in, especially with the captain, you know, the captain being involved in it, Hugo Lloris, you think maybe he was thinking, well, this is what the gaffer wants and he won't mind if I ever go at Son for, for not tracking Richarlison in the 46th minute. Nah, I think it was more based on good management by Mourinho, to be honest. He's taken the conversation away from Son and Lloris and turned it back onto him. It's quite a controversial comment in a way, saying, oh, it was beautiful. He's basically just taken the heat off his players and moved it to him. And that's what all good managers do. And to be honest, Mourinho's done that his whole career, this this protecting of the players behind closed doors. I think he might have had a word with them. Um, but I thought he handled it perfectly, to be honest with you, and it kind of moved the conversation on a little bit. So there, there wasn't in the, in the post-match analysis last night after the game, there wasn't too much loitering on it. Um, so I think it was job done by him. Um, but yeah, I can I can see why he probably did want a bit more passion and a bit more animation, I guess, from from his Tottenham players because they've seemed pretty dull since the restart. So and and the needing points big time. Um, you don't want to finish below Arsenal, so I can I can see why he's maybe said that to them behind closed doors. But I thought he handled the situation well. I think the reason why every, why nobody dwelled on it too long in the pre in the post match press conference was probably because everyone just wanted to log off and, and go to sleep after that game because it wasn't exactly a, <laughs> a one to live in the memory. It was a classic Monday night game. Um, you know, the Monday night games tend to be you tend to forget they're on, and then you tend to watch them and think, oh, why did I bother watching this? I can't remember the last good Monday night game, to be honest. But yeah, that's that's the thing. You, you shouldn't just you shouldn't let Tottenham play on a Monday night. That's rule <laughs> number one. If you're doing this Premier League fixture list, Tottenham always have to play on a Saturday or Super Sunday, something like I'm that. I'm sure Mourinho would still manage manage to to moan that that it wasn't quite benefiting benefiting him and his team in the way that he he wanted to. If that was the case, um, but. And what about um, what about Mourinho then? He's he's got a, a very very important win out of uh, it looked it looked quite tough last night with, with Everton improving and getting better. But um, Spurs have managed to move up to eighth now, and the table's that close that it can look really bad one week and then you know two days later it can look you know very good again. So, do you think Mourinho is is finally getting some sort of grip on on the uh, on the Spurs team and putting his stamp on it, or do you think it's it's still a little bit too early to tell? I'm actually starting to worry that Mourinho's lost his grip on everything. Um, I don't know if you saw at the end of the Sheffield United match uh, while Chris Wilder was being interviewed, he, he came in and gave him a hug and a kiss, and I was like, "But this is this is Mourinho. What, what's going on here?" Um, and you know, genuinely, I believe that this he's, is, he's probably is this more the like same, that. Or, or, the same manager that poked the Barcelona coach in the eye was it Tito Villanova? 
<laughs> and then what yeah. is it? Five, yeah. six years later, he's uh, he's hugging and kissing Chris Wilder. Wow. I mean, the thing is that, that that's that's an indication of first of all somebody that's not adhering to uh, social distancing, and secondly somebody that's a little more relaxed. You know, they've just oh, okay, I've been beat, I've been beat. When actually we're looking at the media and kind of going, hey, you know, things are not looking great for Mourinho. He's coming mid-season. It's a bit of a mess. Um, like the the records not great they they seem to be a bit hit and miss um i mean he 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 does seem to be getting the man management right with certain things uh we saw the other week going into the game he was like uh oh, you're going to see harry kane's going to score harry kane's going to score and of course harry kane scored but then to be honest if harry kane's playing the chances are he will score um so it wasn't that much of an act of uh, clairvoyance um <clears throat> i think there is still a chance that Tottenham can get uh, European qualification and definitely, you know, finish above Arsenal. I think that would be the absolute minimum for this season to see them finish above Arsenal. Otherwise, they're going to be very disappointed. Um, I think if they can make it into Europe, especially with Mourinho's success in, in cup competitions in the past, that's a really positive step moving forward for them. But otherwise, it, it's really... I mean, you're almost starting to you get into that point of the season where uh, people are looking at the clubs that are going down, the vultures are circling and going right. Who, who do we want? You know, do we want you know Cantwell from Norwich, that kind of thing? But Tottenham are, are straying into that position of being that team where you know other clubs are going to look at their players for taking, and we know that Daniel Levy is the type to sell. So I I, I think European qualification is very very important for them. The derby next week will be massive. It will. If you, I'm just looking at the table now. Seventh versus eighth. As it stands as well, eighth is enough for a European place, is it not? With with um, Man City's um, ban technically yeah. standing as as we as we talk today, it, it stands. Um, but yeah, I mean, eighth could be enough for Europe. I mean, that would that would be a good season for for Spurs, I would suppose. But they're exactly level with with Arsenal. There's a point separating them, but they're level on goal difference. So, you know, was it five games to go now? That's going to be uh, all all stakes on the uh, on the derby next week. But we'll uh, we'll cover that next week because we're gonna we're gonna move on slightly now um, to uh, a man who's had a hell of a season. Uh, we're talking about you know Arsenal having an average season. One man who isn't having an average season. Uh, is a man who scored his 100th Premier League uh, goal at the weekend, and it's Jamie Vardy. So he got his 100th goal. He's had a bit of a drought lately with, with Leicester's, uh, Leicester's poor form, costing them, well, almost costing them uh, a place in the top three. But they're still hanging on to that, and Jamie Vardy has hit his 100th goal in the Premier League. And he's, what is amazing about this is he only came into the Premier League at the age of 27. And I was doing some some maths yesterday, and... Uh, it, it it dawned on me that he's hit a hundred goals in five years, and that is obviously twenty goals a season. But if he had another five years in the Premiership, that's that's another hundred goals at that rate. At this rate, he would have been on two hundred Premier League goals if he'd had a full career in the Premier League alone, and he'd managed to hit this um, hit this you know level of form for for the previous mm-hmm. five years. And where does this where does this rank him in terms of the great Premier League strikers? Because even though he hasn't been in as long as you know an Henri or a Shearer or a Rooney or a Van Persie or someone like that, his his record stands up right up there, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I think as well you've got to look at the the team that he's playing with as well. Like all those other players that you mentioned, you know, are playing for like top teams. And of course, Leicester have that um, league championship under their belt. But a lot of the time that they've been in the Premier League, they've been mid-table or, or around the bottom. So it's only really this season and the season they won the league that they've been right up the top. Uh, also as well, I I, th- I think I'm right in saying his record against the top six is... He's got the most goals against the top six teams since he's been playing. Yeah, I think uh, um, that's that's one of the one of them things that he always had, didn't he? He always had that that amazing record. I think he scored like what was it, <coughs> something like twenty goals in twenty five games or something against the top six, which is it's crazy. It's just amazing, and the thing is that the the guys so fast. I mean, and we've seen him do it. And it, hopefully, you know, they're, they're going to be in a position where they qualify for Europe again because I I think. For most people, those games of Leicester in the Champions League were some of the best Champions League games I've seen just for the atmosphere, the energy, the excitement around it. And it's great, as you say, the the story behind this guy, and it's been much touted that there's a a script flying around Hollywood about his uh, transition. Um, (laughs) But the the best thing about... Who would you get to play Jamie Vardy? (laughs) That's a really good question. That's a whole other podcast in itself. Throw that out to the Twitter (laughs) listeners. The, the thing we we talk about his performance on the pitch as well, but I think we've got to look at his kind of his revolutionary attitude towards like nutrition and medical science. He's kind of like the opposite of Arsene Wenger. You know the way they credited Arsene Wenger with bringing broccoli to the Premier League and making people eat properly and train properly. Jimmy Vardy brought WKD. Exactly, exactly. Literally, there was a, when he first went to Leicester. I don't know if you st- heard, heard this story. Um, he had a dead leg. And uh, the physio couldn't figure out why it wasn't getting better. And he was like, usually I've seen like tall muscles heal quicker and you've just got a dead leg. And the, the physio's to him like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, and, and Jamie Vardy says, nothing I wouldn't normally do. You know, normally I'll go home, sit in front of the telly and drink Skittle vodka. <laughs> <laughs> and he was doing this after every game and they pointed out the <clears throat> fact that the alcohol uh, would sort of damage the healing process. That said... Supposedly now, and the, if you haven't read his autobiography from nowhere, I highly recommend it. Um, he dr- likes to drink a half a, half a Lucasade bottle for some reason of port the day before a game, <laughs> just to chill him out. And then his match day preparation: get this, three Red Bulls, a double espresso, and a cheese and ham omelette. That's what makes Legend. me run around like a Legend. nut job on a match day. Oh my god. It's working for him, though. Yeah, well, the guy's basically, I'm looking at that. 32, and he's absolutely yeah. lightning. I've never seen a quicker 32-year-old. It's unfortunate that he's not been playing in the Premier League his whole career, but in a way, that kind of makes the whole story much more impressive. That's the only reason why there'd be a Hollywood story about this. If he was playing in his whole career, then it, it would just be... Well, it wouldn't be spectacular, would it? It'd just be a very, very good player. But now he's a very, very good player with a very interesting story. I love seeing that clip where he's playing for Fleetwood Town. Um and he, he just, he, he, he almost does a Maradona. It, it's brilliant. And just seeing the, the specific games, there's a lot of clips on YouTube where you can watch specific games where he got picked up. Um, he was playing for Sheffield Club and then it was uh, Fleetwood Town and then up to Leicester. It's, it's, a, it's a great story. But I'm just looking at the, um, because he's not played, obviously, his whole career in the Premier League, I'm looking at the goals to games ratio. And there's only five players who have got a better goal-to-game ratio than Jamie Vardy. And they are the big, big hitters. Aguero, Henri, Kane, Shearer, and, oh, well, Ian Wright. Yeah, he's a big hitter. Give it to him. And Van Persie. Um, so there's massive, massive names below Jamie Vardy. Owen, Lukaku, Hasselbank, Fowler, Rooney. 
Drogba even. So, I mean, that just shows how good he has been. I think it's funny that you mentioned Ian Wright because I was just thinking about him then, actually, because there's a lot of similarities. Um, I mean, Ian Wright didn't come... Uh, to the top flight quite as late but he, he was still playing Sunday League until um, Palace signed him I think he was maybe 21 but he didn't really get his big move and his big break until the FA Cup run and Arsenal pinched him so it was only really at the age of sort of 27, 28 that he went to Arsenal um, which makes me wonder you know is, is Jamie Vardy going to be a future uh, personality on phone-ins and match of the day <laughs> which would really add a different element to Definitely. it what I'm hearing there Ant is that you're saying my chance of playing in the Premier League isn't over yet I can still do yep. it it's your that's diet what that's what you need just pop the Red Bulls and the uh, espressos cheese and a ham omelette yeah, and you're Stephen, away you, if anything mate you, your diet's too good you need to stay off the kale and you know the bananas <laughs> and all that you need to get on the port and the Skittles vodka and uh, the WKD, so there you go. Get get yourself on that, and we'll get you a run out. Happily, happily. Uh, also, Stefan, one of them things uh, you mentioned before, I'm just going to, yep. I have to pull you up on it. I, I, sorry, I, I just have to. You mentioned, you know, Vardy coming from from, from uh, the Sheffield Club, which is Stocksbridge, Park Steels, and then going to Fleetwood. You missed out, Halifax. <laughs> Are they Yorkshire? Are they not Yorkshire? I mean, if they're not Yorkshire, they're not, they're not real. Don't care. <laughs> Do you know the only reason I pulled you up on it is because I was I worked there the season Jamie Vardy was there. Oh, brilliant! Um, so I, yeah, so I um, I was there for a few weeks before he got his move to to Fleetwood. I was doing some work experience at uni, and I got to meet Vardy as as this much hyped um, non league, uh, you know, the, the best player in non league kind of thing. It was Blue Square North at the time, um, and it. When when you saw him, did you did you think that he would go on to be a hundred plus goal Premier League player? No. Uh, you knew he was good. You knew he was good enough for the football league. If you're honest, because um, if anything, just because of his pace, you've seen you've seen quicker. You know, uh, you've seen lesser players get to get to higher levels than him. Um, but he was uh, he was lightning quick and he could finish, which was always going to get him a chance at, uh, at a higher level. And then. You know, Fleetwood came in for him. I think Fleetwood bought him for a million, uh, a million pound. I think. No, they, no, they and didn't. You were still Sorry, on no. work experience, being unpaid. Yeah, I, I was unpaid. Yeah, uh, but he was uh, back then. He was, he was just, you know, he's a bit sort of raw now, and he's been a bit media trained, which is fine because he's got enough of a personality to to help him through that. But in in those days, he he was just all raw personality. Like he wasn't. He wasn't media trained. I think there's a famous clip of him on on YouTube saying um, where he's talking about his future. It was just the summer I summer before I started there, um, and he says um, Adam, the the guy who's interviewing him, says, you know, Jamie, there's a lot of speculation about your future. Um, can you tell us that you're going to be with Halifax Town next year? And he says, No, I'm going to IB for I'm going to start for IB for Town. <laughs> and it's just that's that's just who he was, and he's he's still there now. He's just he's obviously. He's got a few more million in the bank. He's got his his V nine academy as well. I think um, giving chances to players that drop out of the uh, the system that, at uh, youth level and and find it tough to get back in like he did. But you know, fair play to him. Hundred goals, thirty two years old. You can't take that away from him. Um, but that's the story of Jamie Vardy for you. Um, and that will so that will wrap up. We'll uh, we'll have a quick break. And tonight uh, there's a few more. Premier League games in this never-ending marathon of football we've got going on at the minute. Um, but there's three more games tonight, but we'll get on to them just after this. 
Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa. Just ask Alexa. Open Sports Social. Right, welcome back to uh, Football Social Daily. It's me, Marley Anderson, with Ant McGinley and Stefan Armstrong. We've just been talking about Jamie Vardy's incredible achievement to hit 100 Premier League goals and the the scuffle slash fight slash slap fest that was uh, was uh, Win Son versus Hugo Lloris last night in the Spurs game. Uh, but we're going to move on to tonight's action. But before we do, I can just tell you about our uh, sports social skill, which you should always have by now. Uh, you should all have by now. That is the uh, smart speaker. Everyone's got one. You know, the Alexas, the Google Homes. All you've got to do is download our skill from the Amazon store, which is free and doesn't take any any sort of techno- technological wizardry to install it on your Alexa home, uh, home smart speaker. And all you need to do is ask for the latest Premier League team news and you'll get it straight to your your smart speaker. So simply open Alexa and ask what is the latest Man United team news if you're a Man United fan and it will tell you and that's all you need to do and that's all you should do because it's the only place to get live updates on everything that's going on in the Premier League world but tonight in the Premier League world we've got three more games two games at 6 o'clock and the game at 8.15 and we start with uh, Crystal Palace versus Chelsea at Selhurst Park and this is to be honest, of the three, this is the one where there's not not as much riding on it, purely because Crystal Palace are, are marooned in mid-table obscurity at the minute. There was a little bit of, uh, of talk of Crystal Palace getting an outside chance for the uh, <laughs> for the Europa League places uh, a couple of weeks ago, but three defeats in a row has, has put pay to that. And and do you think Crystal Palace... What, my, my 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 issue with Crystal Palace is what are they? What are Crystal Palace? Are they? They've been a Premier League team for years and years now. They've never really been in relegation trouble. They've never really challenged for Europe. They always finish around thirteenth. What should they be trying to do in in the coming years? Do they have to show more ambition? Do they have to spend bigger? What is what? What are they? Absolutely, Palace should be aiming for something more. They should be aiming to get into the Europa League. I mean. We we all forget. Well, maybe we don't. But they they made the FA Cup final a few seasons ago. It just happened to be the season that Leicester won the league, and so it kind of got drowned out by the news about all of that. Um, that <clears throat> they went down against Manchester United, but they still made it to the final, which is no mean feat. And of course, they've got the most experienced manager in the league, and, and possibly the most experienced manager they could possibly have in Roy Hodgson. You know, his experience. Um, when you look at the length of his career, it's probably sort of Ancelotti plus Guardiola combined. Uh, not necessarily for his trophies, granted, but in terms of for where he's been and what he's been through and what he's seen. And so um, I would hope that they're using him as a building block. I, I don't think he's going to be at that club for very much longer, more because of his age than anything else. Um, also, they've you know they, they've done okay considering that they've lost some great talent in the likes of Wan-Bissaka. Um, they did hold on to Wilfred Zaha, but I think it wouldn't be such a bad thing for Crystal Palace if somebody like Zaha was to leave, because really I think now the, the way the game has, has moved in the last few 
seasons especially it, it's not so much about having superstars in your team it's about having a team that works really well and so maybe actually something like Zaha leaving and going somewhere else would be the catalyst for them to become uh, a more cohesive team during your introduction Mali you were kind of saying what are Crystal Palace I think you nailed exactly what Crystal Palace are they're a mid-table team no no more no less well that's that's the thing isn't it though like how how long can you go of being a, a mid-table team before you have to decide, is this for us? Do we want more? Do we Are we just waiting to <clears throat> be objection, relegated? Objection, we... objection. What's your team, Marley? Well, well Newcastle. <laughs> but... <laughs> we, well, we have the odd relegation to spice things up a bit, so... That's what uh, that's what keeps it keeps it. Hey, well, you uh, could get the FA Cup this year. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> that was a low blow. It's a good job we're not in the studio, and we'd be coming to blows right now. And you're a lot bigger than me, so you'd probably win. Come at me, bro. Um, <laughs> but that's that's my thing with Palace. I mean, should should they be aiming higher, Stefan? I think you know they've got Zaha, they've got Van Aanholt, they've got a, they've got a few decent players they've got Gaeta the the goalkeeper it seems pretty good should they be trying to push i mean if if the likes of burnley can get into the top 8 then can can crystal palace not i don't know i think i think these teams are all in the kind of in the same mix i mean to my knowledge i don't think crystal palace have ever won anything I think I think they've made it to a few cup finals, um, league cup finals, or maybe even semi finals. But I don't think they've ever won anything. Uh, and in terms of a top division high finish, it, you must be going back at least thirty years until they've they've had a decent finish there. So I think Crystal Palace. It's it's difficult because they're a team that all my life have yo-yoed between what was Division One and and the um, and now the Championship and the Premier League. So. I think if you're a Palace fan, I think you're quite happy with a little bit of mid-table obscurity. I think I think that's quite nice not to be involved in a big relegation battle every year. And to be looking up is pretty good. Um, if you look at the players on their roster, though, I'm not, I'm not sure that they can really get into Europe. Their top goal scorer is Jordan Ayew. Um, and then after that, it drops down massively. Like Zaha has only scored three goals this season in Premier League. So... I think I think they're doing well being where they are. Roy Hodgson, if we're being honest, isn't going to take this team forward. And um, I think he's just a really good, safe pair of hands to keep them where they are. And I think that's all right for Crystal Palace fans right now, surely. Yeah, I think I think you you nailed it there. To be honest, so Roy Hodgson is a safe pair of hands because they did try and go to the uh, the more attractive sort of style of play by. Uh, appointing Frank de Boer back in 2017. I think he lasted, uh, I think it was, was it five games? Yeah, it I think it was. I think, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah five. He's lost four of his five games and, and they sacked him, you know, sometime around, I think it was like September or maybe early October sometime. But they did, to be fair, they did go from Sam Allardyce to, to Frank de Boer, which was like going from having a, a Lada Riva to a flipping Ferrari and expecting it to be the same kind of thing. Um, in terms the, of the way football, of football finance goes right now, like if if you're a team like Crystal Palace, uh, Watford, uh, definitely a Bournemouth and Norwich, the cost of going down is massive. You can't really afford to go down, so you don't really want to change things up. It just a bit of security, playing steady football, mid table is heaven right now for Crystal Palace. Yep, fair enough. Um, so what about uh, Chelsea? They're playing Chelsea tonight at home. 
Um, Chelsea are just about hanging on to the top four after uh, after that uh, loss to West Ham last week. They're fourth, um, two points above Man United in fifth. So if they don't, if they manage to get shocked tonight and Palace pull off a victory, uh, they could slip out of the top four uh, come come Thursday night when Man United play at Aston Villa. Um, but what about Chelsea? Uh, and is this? Uh, is this a is this a shoe in for them? You wouldn't expect them to lose points at Crystal Palace. Would no, you? but then I didn't expect them to lose points at West Ham either. And uh, they they just couldn't defend. They couldn't handle Antonio. Um, I don't think that uh, Crystal Palace have that same threat up front, um, or from set pieces. Um, but I think that uh, you know Chelsea Chelsea will should have enough in the bank for this. Uh, and quite frankly, the, the position they're in, they can't afford to slip up because. Literally, where there is the difference between a win and a loss could be Champions League and Europa League. Um, it's just two, well, three points between Leicester, Chelsea, and Man U. Uh, Wolves sniffing around uh, at the back. They've they've slipped up recently, obviously. Um, but really, you know, they they need to keep that pressure on. It looks like Leicester Leicester have dug themselves out of a bit of a slump that they came into after the restart. And I think from um, Frank's part point of view you know he's done really well this season there's there's a really exciting project happening at Chelsea the um the players that they've already signed up for uh coming in in the summer the young players that they've got coming through the side uh, the way that he's blooded um the likes of Pulisic who's you know when we have seen him he's been you know a match winner um and there's there's something really exciting and he's even getting great performances out of the likes of William who are certain um, to leave although that seems like a really mad thing to be doing um, the form that he's in so I, I, I think as well I mentioned this the other day that Frank's really going to want this because you know it's his first full season in the Premier League of course second full season in management and um, you know previously when he's been on the cusp of getting something he, j- he just missed out with Derby so you know, if if he can do this, I mean, it's it's a successful season, whatever. But Frank's really going to want this, and um, you know, he's been a successful player, he's been a winner, and I I think already we're starting to see that's going to carry on through his managing career as well. I think he's playing the role of expectation really, really well at the minute. The, the way he handles himself in his media interviews, um, there, there's I feel like there's an expectation that Chelsea should being the top four this season, they've deserved to be there. Although, in reality, they've yo-yoed up and down and they're a very young team. And Frank Lampard, I think, will be over the moon if they get Champions League football. But the way that he's kind of he's kind of flipped it and portrayed them as, as, a, as a top four team, uh, we should be challenging for that. He's done his job there and really got them players motivated. They were rubbish against West Ham, though, so they can't do that again. I mean, it will be so interesting if, if Chelsea lose tonight and Arsenal win. It just tightens the whole thing up again. Um, which is what I want for for four day yeah four games left in the season five games left so bring it on. Well, if uh, if Chelsea do win tonight, they'll move on to sixty points and they'll go above Leicester, who go uh, away to Arsenal. Uh, just uh, just as Chelsea are finishing their game, Arsenal will be preparing to kick off against Leicester. So that's another uh, top four game. But what about that? I mean, Arsenal on a on a great run at the minute since. Uh, since losing to Man City, they seem to have turned it around and, and got a few wins and everything seems to be sort of heading in the right direction again. Aubameyang's scoring and Saka's signed a contract and so is Martin Elliott, uh, for example. But Leicester, 
this I just this is massive for Leicester, isn't it? And I think with with the table as it is, Leicester will drop out of the top four if they don't win uh, tonight, and Chelsea do win. So this is huge for Leicester, isn't it? To think that it's, it's almost like their season comes down to these last four games, and that's a result of the the dip they had over Christmas and, and January. I think there's an interesting dynamic here in that. Um, it's almost like these sides uh, swapped places recently because Arsenal were always guaranteed to be a top four team and it looks like Leicester are auditioning for that spot um, to be able to be up there and to be challenging away. I think um, coming back from the break, both teams suffered early on um, but ever since that, that loss at Man City, Arsenal have looked really, really good um, and uh I mean, the, the the other thing that's happening there is you're starting to see what I think is the impact of Arteta at the club. I mean, he's still very early into his tenure there, but we know from what we saw with Wenger that Arsenal is a club that likes to give their manager, you know, almost total control, and um, I think that's starting to happen. I mean, we'll obviously see in the in what brief summer transfer window that we get. But uh, what's been very interesting to, to me recently is the way he's handled Guendouzi um, after he was kicking off quite a bit on the pitch and uh, acting up. And um, Arteta and Adu had a meeting with him and weren't impressed with his answers. And so Guendouzi has been told he's going to train on his own for two weeks. And um, a lot of people are seeing this as possibly him being on his way out. And um, I, I, I think in terms of the, the stuff that we've seen on the pitch that there is something to cheer about from Arsenal fans. I mean, I know we, we, we often relish as non-Arsenal fans in in enjoying seeing Arsenal fan TV and people getting very angry and very annoyed. Um, I'm really worried about that because with Arteta in charge, we might see them actually being quite happy and having nothing to complain about. That, that's, a, that's a good point. To be fair. Please, let's get Arsenal fan TV off the airs. Come on. Come on, Arteta, play well. <laughs> I'm fully in that camp with Stefan, to be honest. I'd love I'd love to see that go down the drain. <laughs> it's such a toxic channel for that club. I think it's doing so much bad stuff for for what they are. But Stefan, what about uh, what about Leicester? I think you know, we mentioned Vardy before. Two goals against uh you know the weekend, uh, getting to his hundred well, hundred and one goals it is technically now. Um do we think he can keep up that record against a, a big six club and and hurt Arsenal tonight. Don't see why not. I think the game tonight is going to be a battle of the top scorers, um, both wanting a golden boot. Let's see. Let's see who can come out on top. I fancy, I fancy Leicester a bit more than Arsenal. But to be honest with you, apart from apart from the the uh, Leicester's last game, there has been a dip of form there, notably. A, since Rodgers signed the contract and B, since the restart. And Arsenal have seemed to kind of steadied the ship a little bit. So, come on, let's be honest. Has this got nil-nil written all over it? <laughs> well, a battle of the uh, a battle for the Golden Boot settled by a nil-nil draw. That <laughs> yeah. was some of the... Well, uh... well I, say, I, say, I say that because, because last week I absolutely... Well, I, tr- I tried to make a strong point against Jim that West Ham should go down and that they're going to get battered by Chelsea. And then they go and win 3-2. So I've I've stopped making any sensible predictions on any football games now. So this is going to be nil-nil uh, and Vardy and Aubameyang both to score a hat-trick. 
Well, okay. To be fair, the, the <laughs> our track record on the, on the podcast of predicting results is uh, is questionable at best. Um, I think it's it's a genuine occasion when it, when somebody gets something right and it actually comes to fruition. It is a genuine <laughs> occasion. There's almost like fanfare in the office the next day. Of did you actually see what that game last night? I actually predicted it to be one one, and then it's like, Christ, do we know what we're talking about, or do we just record these <laughs> things and and hope people don't act on our on our predictions in terms of like betting and stuff? Do not put any money on what we say because we're not responsible we don't take any responsibility for you losing any money that you might put on a nil-nil draw uh, that Stefan's just uh, just tipped so um, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the battle for the top four but let's uh, let's switch our attention to the bottom of the league uh, now because we've got a I would call it a six-pointer however I mean you could probably give Norwich six-pointer and they'd still be uh, they'd still be bottom of the table but it's Watford at home um, against Norwich tonight and I'm just looking at the table and if Watford managed to win Norwich could be relegated by Saturday if they lose both uh, both tonight and uh, and on Saturday they've got West Ham on Saturday at half 12 so time's running out for top uh, for Norwich isn't it um and Watford Watford could move four clear of Aston Villa in 18th so do we think tonight, Ant, that it could be a, a case of we finally see some daylight becoming uh, between the the bottom three and and the the sort of pack just above them? Never, never mind talking about Saturday. I think um, some some of the Norwich players and possibly even the fans will be kind of wanting, you know, just I, w- w- they've already accepted that it's happening, and it, it. I don't think it's particularly helpful to say, well, it's still possible. It's still possible, you know. Daniel Fark's done an amazing thing with Norwich. They played some amazing football. I mean, I'm still wincing from when they they turned us turned Man City over, uh, and that was a that was a great game. And yeah, all right, when you you look at it, you know they had three shots, scored three goals, and uh, we were just wasteful in our chances. But still, what a result that was! And they'll they'll be. I think they've they, they've won a lot of fans over about their style of football that they tried tried to play. But they're, it's it's not been enough for them, and um, so I think if there was an option to just eject right now, they they would do that. Um, as for Watford, <clears throat> Watford have really disappointed me. Actually, they did, they got that real new manager bounce with Nigel Pearson, and um, obviously great victory. You're, you're a big fan of I Pearson. Am, I am. You know, he had that great victory over. Um, Man United and over Liverpool as well. I mean, here's here's the crazy thing. Like, if Watford go down, we're going to have a season where the the t- two of the relegated teams have beaten the. In fact, actually, no. If if Villa and Watford go down with Norwich, all three relegated teams will have beaten either the champions or the champions on the way out. <laughs> How mental is that for the Premier League? Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of Nigel Pearson. I think he doesn't get as much credit as he should for Leicester's championship when they when they won the Premier League um, because he'd saved Leicester. They'd have that very difficult time down around, almost being relegated, and he just turned them around. And he had an amazing year, an amazing season that led them to be runaway champions. Um, but that unfortunately he'd had to leave in the summer before, not necessarily because of his own doing. Um, he's very competitive. He's got that kind of spirit. He would do well as a Tottenham goalkeeper. Um, he's got that kind of shoutiness about him. However, 
it's just not happened for them since the restart. And and you look at all the teams down there. I think what is it like? No win between any of the the the, the bottom four teams since Project Restart has came back. And I mean, the thing is, it, it, even if even if they lose um, tonight, um, the real point, the real six pointer comes up when they take on uh, West Ham. Uh, mid-July although by that point it might be too late because West Ham seem to be having a little bit of a resurgence so with uh, Newcastle and and Arsenal which neither of which are going to be easy games for them you know this they have to win this there's there's, there's no way around it they, they have to go in they have to win it if they don't if they don't win it they're, they're in real trouble only one point ahead of uh, Villa and Bournemouth and looking at the fixtures you doubt it's going to be Bournemouth, so it's between Villa and Watford. Yeah, it could, I think I think you're you're just about right there. I think if Watford don't win tonight, they're they're right under the. Uh, it's a massive missed opportunity, isn't it? Um, but Stefan, what about uh, what about Norwich? We I mean Ants just talked there about their their style of football, winning a lot of plaudits. Um, I was thinking last week we could be in this weird situation where Norwich get beat, you know, close to to twenty five times in the Premier League go down bottom of the league and three of their back four could get snapped up by Premier League clubs. As in, you know, Ben Godfrey's been, you know, he's got potential. Max Ahrens is, is quite highly rated. And Lewis, the left back as well, is is got a few suitors as well. Same with uh, Emiliano Buendia. So there is talent in this Norwich team, isn't there? It's just, it's a weird situation where they can't knit it all together for, for long periods. So where do you think it's gone... It's gone wrong for them. It's a difficult question. I think first of all, Norwich are already down. There's, there's no, there's no point in even talking about them trying to stay up. Um, but they've scored so many goals compared to the teams around them. Um, Team Rapuki's got eleven goals. Todd Campbell's got seven goals. Um, so they're scoring a lot of goals, especially compared to. To um to Watford, who uh, Troy Deeney is their top scorer. I mean, I think he's got five or six. He's he's scored hardly any. Um, and it's the same with West Ham. They've scored few goals. Bournemouth have scored few goals. So you've really got to point to the Norwich defence there. I know you just named three players who have bright prospects uh, and very talented. But is there a lack of leadership at the back there because they're letting in an awful lot of goals? Uh, and a team who's uh, I think I think Norwich have got two players who've scored between them 20 goals that's usually not form for somebody who's rooted dead bottom of the table so there must be some lack of spine in that team lack of leadership or lack of maybe aggression almost uh, which you need to stay in the league and I think that's been Norwich's problem yeah, I think I'd, to be fair, I think I'd agree with that. I think if the you know the three players we mentioned, Lewis, Aaron's, and, and Godfrey, the fourth member of that back four is is usually Grant Hanley. Um, and if we're being honest, Hanley is experienced, but he's a Championship defender at, at best. I think uh, he's 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 knocking on a bit as well. He hasn't got much pace, and uh, I think where they where they struggle is is uh, is at the back, and they don't really have. Like you say, you know they've not got much chance of. Well, they've got no chance of staying up, really, haven't they? They could be down by by Thursday night. I think um, if we look at the the fixtures at the minute, you know, if they lose tonight, if Norwich lose tonight, and then they lose uh, on on oh, thir- Thursday as well, uh, on Saturday as well. That's it. That's cut and dry in there. 
they're gone for the from the Premier League for another few years. But let's see what they can do tonight. That's uh, that's the end of the the games tonight. We've got Watford Norwich uh, at six o'clock, Crystal Palace Chelsea at six o'clock, and then Arsenal take on Leicester at eight fifteen. So you can see them. That's the latest part of the ongoing marathon that is Premier League football. There's another four games tomorrow. There's another three games on Thursday, and then we've got a day off on Friday. But we'll be bringing you every uh, everything, every bit of fallout to the uh, to the action, every preview to every game on the uh, Football Social Daily podcast, which you should, should have already subscribed to. But if you haven't, then uh, then get on it. What are you waiting for? Come on. You know, we're here for you all the time. So get subscribed on Spotify, on Acast, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, just download us, search Football Social Daily and hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss a show. But that's it for today. And uh, I'll say thank you to Ant McGinley. Cheers. And thank you to Stefan Armstrong, who've been Cheers, excellent as ever. And this lovely bit of insight. What have we done today? We've, we've praised Jimmy Vardy. <laughs> we've slagged off Son. We've slagged a little bit of uh, Hugo Lloris. We've said Norwich are dead and buried, which means Norwich are going to win 6-0 tonight and uh, none of us will be on tomorrow, so you can't give us Go any Mally, before you sign off, give us your favourite Premier League fight or even just fight in football. Full circle. Oh, well, you can't, I can't look past Bowyer and Dyer physically. Yes! You know, fighting uh, on the pitch and having to be separated by Gareth Barry who wasn't even playing for us he was playing for Villa at the time obviously and uh, and Alan Shearer who looked absolutely fuming at the pair of them and uh, God knows what happened in the dressing room after that but yeah that's uh, one of one of the darker days in the uh, in the image of Newcastle. My, my favourite bit about that whole thing was the press conference afterwards where Graham Soonis dragged them in like two schoolboys oh, apologising in front of their mum <laughs> Yeah, and the irony of it being Graham Tunis as well, who pretty much had fights every week during his career. <laughs> anyway, but that's it. That's it for today. Let's. I mean, we could be here talking for ages about Tunis and and fights and and all sorts, but we'll save that for another podcast. So join us then. Uh, join us there tomorrow when we'll be looking back at tonight's games. I'm forward to Wednesday night's games on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.